This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and we're back today. And as usual, I'm joined by my full, fully healthy, prime of life co-host, Dave. Hey there. <laughs> Hello. Yes, I have much medication on board, and I'm feeling probably only twenty percent zombie. So I think that's that's a step up from usual. Um, yes, but I'm going to try to trap you into certain things you would never say. I mean, if you're medicated and everything. So, let's, uh, <laughs> dear audience, let's see how deep we can make Dave dig a hole. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, well, it's probably no different. Not that much different to normal anyway. So, let's get into it. Yep. It's a news episode, as uh, we've been doing cultural, corporate culture episodes. Every other episode, we intermix them with news episodes. And today is a news episode. So if I find the right button, yes, we can see a browser to our fantastic site, by the way. If you haven't visited our site lately, please do so. Not that there's that much to see, but I build it. I've spent time on it. Have a visit. Um, but this is probably more important or more interesting to talk about. The Pentagon yeah. has cancelled something. Indeed, the the Pentagon are oh, famous for spending so much money, so much money, so many overspends, so many expensive projects that uh, that just uh, eventually get canned for one reason or another, and uh, another one bites the dust. The uh, controversial ten billion dollar cloud contract known as Jedi uh, that was awarded to Microsoft uh, back in 2019. Uh, the Pentagon has have terminated it after two years of legal wrangling and lawsuits and all sorts of malarkey. And I mean, on the one hand, not terribly surprised, really. But the the thing that I thought was funniest, not funny about all funny of hard. this, well, like, uh, when you put together a uh, a plan for what you want something to deliver, like we're talking the Pentagon, so let's let's use something in in their in their realm in their remit, U.S. Department of Defense. Um, you want a jet aircraft. You want it to fly around, you want it to intercept enemy aircraft, you want it to mm. fire missiles, drop bombs. You come up with a specification of what you want it to do. You put some future reaching stuff. You you put certain performance characteristics. You want it to be able to fly so far without refueling and fly so high and fly so fast and all of these kind of things. And uh, those of you looking at the uh, the video may even catch a glimpse of a jet engine part in the background of, of my video stream here. Um, but you come up with all these things and, you know, some of those are going to be stretch goals based on what we can do today. And to a certain extent, that kind of process makes sense for those kind of uh, deliverables. Now, pivot into the digital world, the cloud world, the world that you know, Jan and myself uh, very much, uh, I think, believe is our our sandbox and our place of uh, place of much contentment. Uh, now, try applying that same kind of process to 
something like a 10-year uh, cloud computing contract, given how much has changed in the last 10 months even, let alone years. Like, it just makes no sense. And I think the the number one thing that I saw that came up again and again and again in every single article is basically the Pentagon officials essentially saying that the this giant contract, this giant structure that they built around this tender, even two years now since it was awarded, so people have been working on this for a long time before that, uh, it's basically all out of date. It's all irrelevant. And I don't know what's more surprising, the fact that they have actually terminated it or the fact that this was even a thing in the first place. But, yeah, I, this is just... Yeah, US government, you doing US government things. Okay, there was a lot of uh, monologue on your end, so I'm not sure which I'm going <laughs> to pick apart there, but there was so much wrong with that. Before anything, though, I do appreciate and respect the Pentagon for issuing Order 66. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it on to the listener to understand that one. Um, but, uh, God, to, to start with your example with the, the jet airplanes, uh, I mean, remember the Eurofighter thing versus the F-18, I think it was at that point? So even in that world, it's not as clear-cut as you might think. Oh, it's, it, don't get me wrong, it's a complete dumpster fire there as well. Like, the, the massive overspends. I mean, I would not so much the Eurofighter, that wasn't, believe it or not, the Eurofighter wasn't actually too bad. But like, if you look at the Joint Strike Fighter, the JSF, that's yeah, been that's a... Yeah, that's the one I found. Um, that's the one I meant, sorry. That, that's been a, a complete and utter dumpster fire. Um, but, like, you name it, like aircraft carriers... Almost anything that goes out to a government contract, um, just the sheer size and scale of them, they end up being pretty awful, mm -hmm. all things considered. Uh, but I think this this sets a new <laughs> this sets a new bar. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, ten billion isn't that much for a Pentagon. I mean, that's what they used to. I'm going to, was going to say something I probably can't say, so I'm not going to say it, <laughs> yep. to do some uh, hygienic cleansing. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, the whole cloud thing, it's, you're right, it's very much in flux and stuff like that. But I can understand why you go long term on this, because also don't forget, it's a very broad thing. Uh, looking back a bit, there were in Europe a couple of countries that decided that government should be base everything on open source and Linux and move away from Windows. Never happened. Why? It proved to be impossible to move so many thousands of people over to something that was fundamentally different. And all of legislation, security, and things around it, it is hard, even in software land. So I do understand somewhere that the Pentagon said at a certain point, okay, we want to stop wasting money, it's a good thing, uh, by moving from left to right, front center, and just standardize on something and go deep on that. And on that point, they, I haven't seen the RFP, of course, a tender, but I'm assuming that wrote something that was so all-encompassing that very few companies could actually answer the thing. It was focused on cloud, but probably it had also things like 
um, office software will include it as well, which gave Microsoft, of course, the advantage for the for the deal, I guess. The cloud itself had their pros and cons on both ends, but I'm not entirely sure I agree with you that this should never have happened. The problem, in my opinion, was more in the fact on how it got decided and very much in 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 vain with, with what we're talking about the corporate culture thing the lack of transparency mm. around the decision process because obviously when these amounts of monies are being talked about there will be lobbying there will be a gray area everywhere and i think that has been mishandled at that point and of course there was always oh, there's also i'm not sure if this is actually indicative or not but there has been a power uh, change in the US. The previous uh, owner of power was a very much anti a certain company that has disappeared and now it all drops away. I'm curious how much this decision to stop the project is uh, it has a political reason behind it and not a technical reason. I'm actually quite certain that that's the reason behind it. Yeah, I mean, we will uh, we will almost certainly never really know like there, no. i'm sure there will be books written about this uh, at some point in the future of, of various insiders and various people uh the jedi that failed maybe that'll be the book title um the fallen jedi who knows but it's i just yeah i i think i i disagree like i think that this was i I understand what you're saying about you know a longer term commitment being made but 10 years for something that is evolving so very very quickly uh, are you saying the pentagon I, evolves quickly i'm saying that cloud evolves <laughs> I, very I know quickly. but that's the two points that's the part right but they're if they're looking to try and uh, i don't know i i think i i think that you'd be better off um just you know by all means have a preferred supplier or a preferred mm -hmm. default or something along those kind of lines but from what i understand of uh of what has been shared around this uh the jedi cloud contract it was um it was far more all-encompassing than i think makes any sense and yeah maybe maybe you're right maybe it's it's all it's all politics and it's not technical at all. Uh, the reason for this um, sort of being cancelled. But I don't know. I just, I fundamentally disagreed with the approach they took when they first started this whole conversation way back when. Um, I, I just don't, I don't think it's the right way to go about this kind of fast-moving technology i just don't think it makes sense yeah. i can understand why they why they approach it this way because that's it's the same way that they approach everything but i just don't think it makes sense okay but let's pull it down at, at, at a notch here let's not talk about the 10 billion pentagon but just any company any organization out there you want to go to the cloud you've got your stuff in your data centers you've said decided i want to go cloud that's what i'm going to do i have to choose a cloud provider and there's, if you're not in China, three options. You have AWS, GCP, and Azure. How Oracle would you... Oracle Cloud, surely. How would you... <laughs> <laughs> How would you decide where to go? Now, first question there, of course, is should you decide? 
Why should you decide to go for all of them and pick the things you need for all three and then make your hybrid cloud by connecting it all together? Personally, I think that would be the best solution because you have zero vendor lock-in, you can take best of breeds of everything, but connecting it all up and keeping it secure, especially if you're starting to work with privacy data, government environment, things like that, today is very hard to do. And the thing is that for a lot of compliance things, you have to prove you're secure. And the more cogs in the machine, the less you can make sure you've covered every base. If you stay within one cloud provider, you can use the shell that the cloud provider builds around the cloud uh, propositions and you have more certainty there, I would guess. I don't I don't a hundred percent disagree with that. I would wow. say it's getting <laughs> easier though. Like I see more and more organizations that have hybrid cloud strategies um, where they do have certain elements from one cloud provider, certain elements from another. They have their preferred technology choices. Uh, but they do leverage other technologies from other cloud providers, and they they rely on things like uh, you know having a centralized authentication uh, platform that 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 they do integrate into both things. And it, it's I hundred percent agree that that's not the easiest way to do it for sure. The easiest way is definitely pick one, standardize on that, and the way you go. But I'm seeing more and more organizations kind of taking those those hybrid cloud choices and also mm -hmm. it's not it's not really the it's not the standard definition of hybrid cloud as well but i'm seeing more organizations you know mixing in when they talk about hybrid cloud they talk about their overall ecosystem of technologies they use so they're talking about you know some things they're consuming as a SaaS, ah, uh, which a could be running. I, I know, but if you, I'm seeing more organisations talk about the concept of hybrid cloud as that, yeah. as as kind of bringing in all of the various different technologies they use, including you know various SaaS vendors and things like that. So, I, I think that it is, it is becoming more common i don't think it is uh it's certainly not ubiquitous by any stretch of the imagination far more organizations are kind of yeah my my default cloud provider is x and you know 95 percent of my cloud related uh workloads run on cloud provider x i think i think that is the most common sort of cloud consumption use case today uh, I think if you include SaaS things like Slack or, or Salesforce or things like that in part of it, then pretty much every company is doing hybrid cloud. But I don't see that hybrid cloud. And also the question I was asking at the start was, if I have to choose a cloud provider, if I'm using Slack, I probably don't even know what cloud it's running on and I don't care. I'm using this as yeah, a SaaS absolutely. service. So I'm, you're right there. And at that point, everybody's doing the hybrid probably. But take that, I mean, GDoc, Office 365, you will be using one or the other. So you're probably hybrid on that point. But apart from but that, my, you're really looking at the cloud provider, the rest of it, the things that aren't available as a service. That's mostly what yeah, I'm looking at But here. my my concern is not how do you choose a cloud provider? I agree. Like, yeah, sure. Pick whichever one you want, which, whichever one makes more sense to you. Blah. I don't really 
necessarily yeah, see, care. That's where I wanted to go. But no, but I, I but I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. My problem is you picking a cloud provider and saying I'm locking myself into that for ten years. That is the thing that I think is bonkers. Um, I mean, you can debate on the length of time, perhaps, but you will have to lock yourself for a certain time because you can't sure. decide. Let's go Azure today, and tomorrow we go to Google, and you will do doing Office sixty five. He'll do 100%. Google Cloud. He will use uh, Novel if that still exists. You need to have some kind of point, and I'm guessing the bigger the organization, the the more inflexible it is, and the longer the time frames will be. But indeed, let's say we lock it down for like three years. I think that's typically hardware. Two, two to three years is a, years is a so very typical cycle. Years. But anyway, let's say that that's your thing. You want to block, you want to lock yourself in to a certain cloud yeah. provider. Uh, we just discussed the hybrid thing. There's a pros and cons there, but typically you will still mm -hmm. have to kind of say we're going for color X. Would you then base that on the capabilities that that cloud provider has today or base it on, and this is very hard, the vision of the cloud provider, the way they're working on it, the, 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 the roadmaps they're showing you, and not the roadmaps for next month, but the ones for the next 10 years. How do you make the decision? Because, as you say, the cloud is so flexible, so 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 quickly evolving, it makes no sense to just say, oh, I want a database, and this one has uh, Microsoft SQL, and this one has Postgres as a service, so I'm going to, based on that, use that. You should I mean, go a lot more broader than that and just look at the... You should. But I think it's got to be a balance. Like There, are, there will be some functionality that you know you need today and there's migration paths for everything sure but like some migration paths are easier than others like mm, most yes. most people have uh, a set of things that they they know are their you know talking sales speak now but like their success criteria there are things that they know that they need right now uh that they would need to understand they would need to have implemented mm -hmm. and pieces of functionality they need today they probably also have their own, you know, company roadmap of things that they know that they want to do in the next 12, 18, 24 months or so maybe. And then you're right, like there's the long-term vision, where is this company going, you know, what are they trying to achieve? And I think there's there's got to be some sort of alignment between what the company is expecting of this, of this cloud provider and what that you know, which direction that cloud provider is moving. Mm -hmm. I, I also think that evaluating organizations purely by their roadmap is insanity. Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, roadmaps are... Um, Wishful thinking. Well, how to say this without offending my, my product management brethren. Um, <laughs> Roadmaps are the easiest things to create and some of the hardest to execute. I, I can add a line to a, a slide. <laughs> Great, it's on the roadmap. Like that's that's very different to actually you know having it factored into resourcing and who's going to do it and do we really know everything that we need? You know how many 
how much more depth might we need to go into to understand the, yeah, the sort of specific I'd, parts of that? I'd like to make a segregation there. I mean, a, a new company just started out that only has a roadmap. Yes, suspicious. But a company like the three cloud providers have a lot of already running up and running. You have this working and they have a roadmap building on top of that that gives direction. I think their roadmap has more weight to it than in the first example. Sure, but you still wouldn't evaluate an organization purely based on its roadmap, would you? Uh, not purely. The question is, which of the two would I weigh the heaviest? What they have today or how they're thinking of using that in the next day? And for me, the longer my lock-in period would be, the more I would look at the roadmap and less at what it is there today. Yeah. Also, because if you look at the cloud providers, how much difference is there really in the core capabilities of these cloud providers? There's not that much difference anymore. And that's quite logical because if cloud provider A has a certain service and it's not successful, the other cloud providers won't build it. If it is successful, yeah. the other cloud providers will also build something similar. So based on purely that, there's only a couple of things you can actually pick and pull threads that make real differentiation on what they have today. While, since I've been working in the uh, in the environment for a while now, the roadmaps of the three cloud providers are quite different, actually. They are, but again, to, to sort of, to go back, you know, I don't, again, don't fundamentally disagree, but, but. just because their roadmaps are different, doesn't mean that where they end up will be fundamentally different. True. Just exactly as you said, like funnily enough, the cloud providers have mostly consolidated on a handful of, not a handful, a, a, a wide <laughs> range of key um, features, like there, there's an, and key sort of services because they're driven by revenue. And if someone sees someone else being successful with that, then they'll stand up a, a competing service because there's obviously a, a need and a demand for it. So the, that's why I think that the this there needs to be uh needs to be a very well understood balance between, you know, the roadmap that you evaluate someone against and their sort of what they have today. Because I, I do think there are, as I say, some migration paths are easier than others. Some technologies may be smoother or easier for you to consume than others that would require more migration effort. And, and I, I would, even if I was, you know, signing up for two or three years with an organization, I would still be the first, you know, who knows how long of that is likely to be mostly migration effort, mm. uh, potentially. I, again, we're, we're talking about the, fictitious um, adoption of a fictitious cloud provider by a fictitious company. So like there's a, there's a lot of potential moving parts here. Yeah, maybe one last thing I want to mention here or talk about here is let's pull it back to our series on corporate culture. I think I can say quite honestly that the three big cloud providers have a very different culture. Yeah. At least yeah. the culture they project which I do think is at least based on the internal true culture because you can't be that kind. They're so big, it's going to filter out anyway. And they're quite different. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but for me, one wants to make it all, one wants to take it all, and one wants to partner with everything. Uh, 
those are three different ways of looking mm. at the environment. Would that be something worthy of considering when you choose which one to partner with? And if so, more or less important than the roadmap or the current capabilities? Discuss. Oh, God. <laughs> I think it is important. I, I, I think, generally speaking, hmm. I was going to say, I think, generally speaking, you want to align the culture of your cloud provider that matches closer to the culture that your organization mm -hmm. has. But how important is it compared to the other two? I, I think, I think it's possibly, it's either the least important or it ties with roadmap. Maybe I don't know. I, for me, I don't, I don't think it's the most important. I mean, you're right, it depends, but for me, it depends on how you see your future partnership with that cloud provider. If you're just going to be consuming their products, then it doesn't really matter. If, on the other hand, you are a technology company yourself and you want to try and build something perhaps with that cloud provider by uh, adding development resources or testing or whatever, if you're very heavy into beta testing stuff and you want to be really then it becomes very important to have a, a similar culture because at that point, you're not just consuming a product, you're actually partnering with that cloud provider. And at that point, culture would be the most mm. important of the three, I think. In the yeah. first example, yeah. it's more of a, okay, how big is your uh, moral mission statement as a company? And that will dictate how important it is. Yeah, no, makes sense. Does make sense. Good me. Yeah, I mean, I think that we will continue to see a lot of uh, rumblings onwards on this uh, Jedi contract. I, I don't think the story is uh, is written at this point. I think well, there's going to be... I think they said like, now that they're not going to do the same thing again, but have a multi-vendor uh, approach in for the next yeah. tender. Which yeah, I mean, the, 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 the truth is problem. the Pentagon... Well, I mean, the, the Pentagon still needs cloud services. Yep. They still need to come up with a strategy, and I think that's what we will see coming next. Is what does that strategy actually look like? You know, how are they actually going to implement that strategy? How how are they going to provide a you know a, a set of services that can be consumed by by the government? And it's it's going to be an interesting journey. Nope. My prediction. The decision will be based on nothing technologically. They're just going to try and make something that the three big cloud providers all get three billion of that ten billion and the tenth billion they'll pocket themselves, so that <laughs> none of so that none of the cloud vendors is going to start litigation because they have F, they have an equal part of the thing and nobody can be mad at anybody else. And Pentkin can say, okay, that's done. Now let's start working with something. Uh, no, I don't think that's likely, but there we go. <laughs> uh, let's I, revisit in six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's see. That that could be an early early prediction. Anyway, we've talked about cloud a lot, so I think we should really pivot and talk some more about cloud. How does that sound? Uh, if you really want to, I mean, I, I think I'm all talked out, but let's see. So the... We, this article um, came up, the business benefits of using an open source cloud. 
I just don't. I mean, so first off, like this is this article. It's in VentureBurn.com, but it was written by uh, Danny Thorne, hybrid cloud platform specialist at Red Hat. So, despite the, you know, there is not a single mention. I don't think uh, of. Uh, let me just check. Yeah, so there's not a single mention of OpenShift in the uh, in the whole article, but I think it is fair to say that this this whole article is a um, a love letter, maybe to um, to OpenShift and its related uh, and and Kubernetes to a certain extent as well. And I just, despite there being a lot of words here, this all feels very I don't know, empty. Is that quite the right word? Well, when I read the title, my first thing was, what is an open source cloud? And the article, in my opinion, does never answer that question. No, not at all. It talks about I mean, how clouds it, use open source and maybe build yeah. open source. But for me, an open source cloud something very different yeah i don't i don't think the, the well oh god <laughs> uh i don't think the um the title actually makes any sense and in fact i i don't i think i know what the article is is trying to say I think the article is trying to say that open standards and open source and uh, you know being able to run the same uh, technologies on multiple clouds is a good thing. Um, but and that's that, possible. You know, that could be sure, and that could be sort of on-prem that could be in a private cloud that could be in a public cloud and I I don't have anything um, you know negative to say about that viewpoint but it just it just trips me up by that whole kind of the very title business uh, business benefits of using an open source cloud like the cloud providers themselves like none of them are open source all of their internal orchestration is you know magic closely guarded well the majority of the cloud providers let's say uh, their sort of behind the scenes orchestration and automation is all very very tightly and highly um, controlled because it's the in in some ways at least for many of them it's one of the ways that they differentiate themselves uh, you know how they how they provision networks behind the scenes, how they provision you know hardware behind the scenes, how that kind of that stuff gets rolled out and configured and managed and deployed and all that kind of stuff is is all very very closed. So to me, especially given the um, given the title of the person that's writing this, they may as well have just said. Run everything on OpenShift, and it doesn't matter where you run it. You can run it in any cloud provider, in your data center, wherever you like. And that would be, 
you know, get that out in 20 words and you could be done. You get on with the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say that these cloud providers, they do open source parts of their things because sometimes it makes sense because they're not using it anymore and people can do stuff with it. Uh, I mean, all of them, well, I'm sure about uh, Azure and Google, they've open sourced part of what they do behind the scenes. But I would also say that open sourcing their entire orchestration layer makes no sense because except for their direct competition, nobody's going to be interested in yeah. building a cloud at that scale anyway yeah. or have that availability. So yeah. again, it doesn't really make sense. And yeah, OpenShift, I've got a bit of a, it's not a dislike OpenShift. It's just, why do I need an extra abstraction layer on top of Kubernetes anyway? I mean, if you, if there would be different underlying technologies for OpenShift, it would kind of make sense, I guess, because then you have an abstraction layer that unifies the standards. Uh, time for that XKCD uh, cartoon here. Yeah. But considering it's such a tight coupling between the two, you just add a bunch of nice to have management capabilities, which in my personal opinion, and I've been disputed this, so I'm probably wrong, you shouldn't want to have standardized. That's the whole idea of Kubernetes. Make it something that's fit for your environment and adding more abstraction layers. We had an episode a while ago about the easy button. Mm -hmm. I still don't believe the easy button is a good thing to go. But <laughs> Well, maybe we should get someone on that can, uh, can educate us on exactly why these things exist. But I think that is a question for another day. I agree. Well, with that, and we'll end with we'll end the episode with Jan agreeing with me, just so we're clear on that. That is all the time we have today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. Helps my medication, certainly. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can comment, you can do all the YouTube things. You can see bits of aircraft engine in the background of my video. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback if you are that way minded to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is... Let's put a 10-year contract around the podcast, Dave. <laughs> My name is, we finally have confirmation, Dave is not in touch with the force because Order 66 has been given, he's still there. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.